you're pondering these moments in which you have this hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee, and in that moment you recognize very clearly that God has called all of us who call ourselves Christian to a deeper intimacy with Him. And out of the response of that, they pray, the disciples who are accustomed to praying, blessed O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who dot, 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 brings forth bread, brings forth wine, brings forth various things to the earth, are now changed into our Father, who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive others. Lead us not into those areas by which we are tempted and afraid. But what? You guys are so quiet. (laughs) Yes, deliver us from evil. If there was one thing that the kingdom of God does and is inclined to do, it's Jesus saying, I'm here to deliver my Father's will. And my Father's will is this, that none of us would live in darkness, but live in what? Light. The kingdom of God removing the depth of darkness and ushering in a kingdom which has no end. And as we approach Christmas and we approach Advent and we we go on the run up, especially in Scotland, into complete darkness, amen? Um, We remember this, that we are the light of the world. We are a city that cannot be hidden. We're, we're a city sitting on a hill for the world to see. And so wherever we go, we are remembering that we are, what? His people, the kingdom of God here on earth. Those that represent Him. And I wanted to say this, that as we kind of proceed forward, I think it's really important for us to examine some of the people in the life of the gospel story. And here's the thing, that if you do the gospel story for 20 straight years like I have, every year you come back to the story, and yes, there are things to find that are new, but there are also things that you go, oh my gosh, it becomes so repetitive. But not if you think about the fact that from Adam to David, there were 14 generations And from David to Jesus, there were 14 generations. And Matthew makes perfectly clear that it's vitally important you understand that there are people in the line of Jesus that really inaugurate the kingdom. Now, last week, what did we talk about? Jonathan and his what? Armor bearer, right? And having the importance of having someone go with you. Now I want to talk about David just to pick up on last week. Because if you would turn turn with me to 1 Samuel, you'll start to see that we were in 1 Samuel 14 last week, talking about Jonathan and the armor bearer. But this week we're going to transition to David. And I'm going to look at a few things in David's life that I think are very, very important. When Ellie and I were standing uh, in what seemed to be a bit, bit overcast day, 
on the hill looking over the shepherd's fields, Bethlehem in the distance, we realized something, that, or at least I did, that, that on the night that Jesus was born, it wasn't that he was just born into something. He, would, he was born into a history that started long, long before. And he represented something much like David, a king. But if you want to be a king or you want to live out a faith that's vibrant, you have to go through some things. Amen? Have you ever experienced any trials? It's part of our learning process. It starts early. When you go through issues in your life and you struggles, guess what? It's starting early. And we come to this chapter in which, chapter 16, in which we see Samuel, who had anointed Saul the king, now is called by God to anoint David the king and remove the anointing from Saul. So the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? Evidently, Samuel's having a pity party. Ever had that? And he's having this kind of like, I've anointed this king. I made a mistake. I've done this wrong. And, and God is saying, why are you grieving over this since I've rejected him from being king over Israel? It wasn't your call, Samuel. It was my call. Fill your horn with oil and go. Last week, we anointed people with oil, which is vital in the kingdom of God. It is so present in almost every book of the Bible. What does Jesus tell us to do? Fill your lampstands with what? Oil. How blessed it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like what? Oil running down the beard of Aaron, the priest. Right? And running over his head. And I want to share this with you. After we did the anointing last week, many of you were touched. If you would just raise your hand, I was touched last week by the anointing. Thank you. Thank you. I was too. But afterwards, you wonder, okay, was that you, God? And I brought these three little vials up here and we prayed. And I think it's important that we pray over people with the anointing of God. Why? Because it's a symbolic representation of God's Holy Spirit coming upon man. And I thought it was interesting because I had done this and, you know, you always have those moments in which you go, did I really do the right thing? Was that right? Did we do the right thing? Of course you know it's the right thing. But then I was like, Lord, and I was walking the dog in the park and I walked home, and I walked to the front door, and there was a box, a square box sitting there, fully taped. It had been mailed to me, but there was no one who had sent it. So I didn't know where it came from. There was no information. So I'm opening the box. I'm thinking, I must have ordered something from Amazon. And it came. And as I'm opening it up, all of a sudden, I opened five vials of anointing oil. I have no idea where it came from. I have no idea who sent it. But it showed up on the day I was praying and asking God, God, did we do the right thing? Let me share something with you. God is in the midst of speaking, and he speaks through many different ways. And this was that moment for me. So Samuel is questioning, did I do the right thing? Did I anoint him? And, and here's what he says, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have appointed for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears, 
He'll kill me. There's a dialogue going on. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will go show you what you should do. And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. Last week, as we were prophetically anointing you, it was a declaration from the Lord because the Lord loves when we respond. Notice what Samuel does. He does what the Lord asks him to do. If you want God to move in your life, you do what God tells you to do. Can I get an amen? All right? So he goes there and he, he comes to Bethlehem. Bethlehem, the city of David, right? It's important in the story. Are we building towards Christmas? <laughs> right? The city of David. And, and he, says, he says this, God gives very specific instruction. This is what you're to look for when you're looking for someone whose heart is turned toward me. Do not look on his appearance or the height of of his stature because I've rejected him. He's talking about Saul. Saul was a head taller than everyone else. He had a comely face. He was a very good-looking man. He said, for the Lord does not see as man sees. He's saying to Samuel, you were had the eyes of what? Man. Man looks on the outward appearance. How many could agree with that? How many really in society can look at that? You know, how many people are taking selfies every day of themselves? Right? Oh, I look good. I look good. I look good. You know, and what are they doing? Then they're comparing themselves to somebody else who's taking selfies of themselves. And the whole time, the Lord is just looking for the labob. Labob? Yeah, the labob, the heart. That's what he wants. He's like, I just want your heart. Do you know that this Christmas season, Jesus doesn't care about anything else you do but your heart? So whether you're singing a song that you don't know or whether you're, you're, you're visiting a friend or whether you're buying a, a, a toy, a Christmas toy for a child that you'll, you'll never probably know, guess what? All he wants you to do is have his heart. Okay, thanks Nathan, that's good. All right, so what does, Saul, what does Saul, Samuel do? Samuel leaves, and he does what he's asked to do, and he sees all the sons, and we know the story, right? Are all your sons here? He asks that question. And he said, there remains the youngest. Behold, he is keeping the sheep. As Ellie and I stood over the fields, looking at the shepherd's fields, where all the shepherds would have been hanging out, Tending the flock, the flock that actually would be the sheep that would be transferred to Jerusalem to be sacrificed on the altar daily. As they grow these sheep, he's sitting there tending the sheep. I want to talk about that for one moment. If you want to do something, let's say, for example, you're in business, or you're a teacher, or you are a parent, or you are a minister, or you're feeling called to be a minister, or you're the head of the BB. We can just go down the list of things in which God calls you to. It says this, you need to have certain qualities. But those qualities are only forged when you're taking care of the flock. So, so he sees him. Samuel said to Jesse, send him, get him here, for we're not going to sit down until he comes. He's saying this, the anointing is not going to rest upon David until you get him here. When you walked forward last week, let me share something with you. The anointing was coming upon you because you came forward. 
Not because you were sitting off. Get him here. And he sent him. He brought him in. Now, we, we learned something about David. He was Rudy. I didn't know what Rudy meant. Can anybody tell me what Rudy means? Ruddy. Ruddy. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, you're right. It would be an E. Sorry. Thank you. Keep me, keep me right, everybody. Ruddy. Does anybody know what Ruddy means? Weather beaten, yes. It literally means red. In, in, the, in Israel, it would mean like Nathan's been out in the sun too long. All right? And, and he's red. So he's red. He's been out in the fields. He has beautiful eyes, and he was handsome. So that's good. He's not tall, but he's handsome. Now, notice something about this. When we're looking for people, and God is looking for people, he's not looking for people who haven't had any experience who haven't had those moments in which they've had to sacrifice. How many of you have had to sacrifice in your marriage, in your families, in your businesses, in the places that you work? How many of you had to sacrifice? Well, guess what? You're getting forged like David got forged. David said, when he finally gets to the Goliath moment, I've fought a what? A bear. How many of you fighting bears these days? He fought a what? A, a lion. How many of you fighting lions these days? We all, how, about, how many of you are fighting proverbial lions these days that, that you feel like are going to devour you and eat you up? Have that? Ever had a boss? Okay, you went too far. What does he say? Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Verse 12 then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord, the Bruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, rushed upon David from that day forward. How many of you want the Holy Spirit to rush upon you? It's the sound of a mighty wind. When Jesus was sitting with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Nicodemus says, well, how am I supposed to know if the kingdom of God is close? And he's, he says, my kingdom, my kingdom, I want you to know it. It's like a rushing wind, a ruach. Do you know where the wind goes? No, I don't know where it goes. That's right. Sometimes we don't know where the kingdom of God is moving. And yet, what are we called to? Press in for the rushing. Get into the presence of the Lord. And here's what happens when you get into the presence of the Lord. And I want to be very clear on this. The kingdom of God has come near to you. And when the kingdom of God comes near to you, guess what he does? He casts out hurt, pain, demons, devils, you name it. The kingdom of God has come and freed people and liberated people. When Jesus stood up at the synagogue in Magdala and he read from the scroll of Isaiah, what did he say? The spirit of the Lord is a what? He's anointed me. What, did he, what was he there to anoint him for? Proclaim what? Liberty to the what? Captives. Why? Why would, they, why would he read that out? Why would Isaiah's scroll be read out to a people of God that don't have to deal with demons? Because we deal with demonic every day. It's vital to understand this. This is the same thing. Why do I say that? Because the same spirit that we have today, the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, who lives in us, also we know this, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood and principalities and powers, but what? Principalities, powers, and where are they? In high heavenly places. 
And the kingdom of God comes to thwart those things. I think one of the biggest impacts in my life when I was there this last time, I went to a place I'd never gone to. I went to the land of the Gerardens, Gerardenes. It's the land on the opposite side, away from the Jews, where the demoniac with all of the spirits of legion got his demons cast out of him by Jesus. And we went to the spot and I was heavily impacted there. Why? Because we all carry with us demons, trauma, pain. And guess what? They're warring against you and me. And the question for this is, how do we open ourselves up to this? Well, we know what Saul did. Saul was what? Disobedient. He sat on the sidelines. He was hiding away while, while Jonathan is taking on the Philistines. He's kind of consulting mediums and witchcraft. And he's, he talked to the witch at Endor. And he's doing the opposite of what God has called us to do. And so what happens? Verse 14. Verse 14. You got that? The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit, a ruah, a ruah, a ruah, ruah. Can you, can you say that? That's kind of like a weird one. A ruah, ruah, came on him. A bad spirit came on him. And the Lord then began to torment him. And Saul's servant said, Behold, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let the Lord now command your servants to seek out a man who will play the liar. Why do they, and then they go on to get little David. Did you know that David didn't show up just at the David and Goliath moment? Did you know that David actually was the armor bearer of Saul before he ever went into the battle? David had been called by God and then found in a field doing what he should be doing. He was faithful. He was experienced. He was obedient. He was ethical, which meant that he had a work ethic. He, he wanted to serve the Lord. He believed in the Lord. And then all of a sudden, he's playing his, we call it a guitar today, or a violin, and soothing Saul's mind. Why? Because Saul had a demonic spirit. Let me share something with you. It's vitally important to understand that when we approach these moments in time, as we approach Christmas, that we get our hearts readied and right. Why? Why? Because it's Christmas. And we're celebrating the fact that God came into the world. Our Messiah, our Savior, has come to liberate us. And not only us, but to liberate Others. I, um, I find it fascinating how many children just don't know what Christmas is. Did you know that? In this city. They don't know what Christmas is. And, and they don't know that Christ, the name Christ, is actually in Christmas. So when they see it, they go, what? What does that have to do with it? Because we've relegated the Christmas story to be about what? Presents. What else? Santa. Santa. What else? Oh, you guys are being so quiet. Why are you being so quiet? This is unlike you. What, what, what else? Reindeers. Reindeers, right? Rudolph, big old red nose. What's that? Turkey. We do that at Thanksgiving, but uh, yes, yeah, it's true. Turkey. Yeah. 
And, and a number of these things are not bad in themselves, but if they become the form of worship, then we have problems. And this is the beauty of God's anointing, is that he brings us back into that space in which he loves us, in which he reminds us that we were called and chosen by him and loved of him. And I want to say this, that it's important that as we approach this, we remember what we open ourselves up to at Christmas is either good and righteous or it can be what? Going back to the original, to evil. This is why we pray that prayer, our Father. This is why Jesus taught us to pray like this. Why? Because this is what's going on. And I love that Jesus taught us to pray like this because it reminds us that his kingdom here was to inaugurate something more than just a manger scene. It was a kingdom that would have no end, that would save lives, that would restore people, that would bring together unity. And that's why we gather. And I want to say this, I think, I think Saul had some major issues. You know, you can look good on the outside, right? That's a, we could take that lesson away, right? You can look really good on the outside, but inside just be in complete turmoil. Do we not know people? What happens, and how is it that spirits come? Well, we know that Saul was disobedient, right? I told you that. But he might have had pressure on him because he was taller than everybody else in the land, and he looked good. Maybe there was a pressure on him to look even better, but he never dealt with the stuff on the inside. We do that all the time. We're told, even as young children, sometimes words are spoken over us. How many of you had bad words spoken over you as children? It opens us up for what? Evil. And God came to this earth to what? Free us. At Christmas. I talked to a guy the other day who had PTSD. Um, and he had, he had, he, he really needed healing. And he said that he had actually had prayer for his life and then God healed him. And it was amazing to hear the story of that man because sometimes emotional shock and trauma. He had been in the army, he had gone through some things. Shock and trauma. Anybody had any shock and trauma in their lives? Maybe God wants to draw you back into that place of anointing. Idle words spoken over us. This is what Jesus said about the importance of what we say to each other. Every word men may speak, they will give an account of it on the day of judgment. For on your words you will be judged. You will, you will be justified or condemned. Matthew. The mouth is so important. Life. When we breathe life, we breathe life over. When people come forward for prayer in this place, we pray life over them. It's vital, because guess what? It won't be what they receive out there. I want to, um, I want to not drop the oil. I want to say this. Why is this important to Christmas? Why is it so important to us?
When I was in the Garden of Gethsemane, I was sitting by myself against the wall. It had rained all day, or all morning long, so it was very slippery and it was very kind of muggy, but it was beautiful. And I was sitting on the, the seat, and you know how you sit on a seat that's wet? What happens? So it was a little hard for me to get into that moment in which I'm like, okay, God, what, what are you doing here? And then the Lord, I, I shared with you last week, he took me to um, Psalm 51, which I think is going to be a very important psalm for me for this year, um, to get me in a right perspective and a right heart, right? And, and what, does he, what does David say? He must have been watching Saul. He says, cast not your spirit from me. He saw what happened to Saul because Saul hadn't done and dealt with the problems in his heart. He saw it. He saw it when he was playing liar. He saw it when he was chased by Saul and Saul threw a spear at him and tried to kill him. He saw all those things. And my friends, we need to be that person that says, God, I want you this Christmas. I want you. I need you this Christmas. Keep my, my, my heart steadfast upon you. And then as I was praying that prayer and I had my head down, Gary came over and he put his hand on my head and he had anointing oil. I realized he was carrying it in his pocket. Maybe we should all get some for our pockets. Might change all of Dundee. Um, but he prayed over me and he said, I pray that there would be a spirit of liberation. He had no idea I was reading Psalm because I, I had closed my Bible. And he said, I pray that there would be a spirit of liberation over this man. And, and I want to say this, that it's, it's, I think last week there was a spirit of liberation in this place. I'm going to say that for those of you who are here. I think a spirit of liberation broke out for those who came forward. I think they felt the presence of the Lord. I think that many of them needed to cry. I, many of you needed to cry. Why? Because what do we want? What does God call us out to do? Cry out to me. All you who are heavy and laden and burdened, come to me. I'll give you rest. How many of you need that? How many of you really need that? We're carrying all this stuff that was going on all year with us. How many of you have lost people this year? I have. I've lost people in this church that I love, and I wasn't even able to be there at their funeral. It pains me. I found out about a friend who died, and I was just utterly shocked. Living up in Aberdeenshire, it broke my heart. We've lost this year, but God's anointing can be there for us to see it through. And so as we approach December 31st, which is the end of the year, my prayer for us is that we would just panim, we'd come into the presence of the Lord. And the only way that we can do that is to really come back to God. The kingdom of God has come. He will free us from sin. Is that true? Do we sing Christmas carols at Christmas time? O come, O come, Emmanuel. What, is he, what does he say next? To ransom captive Israel. Are you captive? Do you want freedom? This is why he came. And I, I want to pray for us. I want to pray for us that we would have freedom. 
But the only way you're going to find freedom, the only possible person that you can find freedom is, is the, is the true king of kings. The one who 14 generations later, after David, came, ascended to the throne and said, my kingdom will never end. Thank you. My kingdom will never end. Now I want to say this. The kingdom of God is a restoration. He's turning all things and making all things new. And to do that, he restores people. He brings them back. He brings them into the, the, the land of the nation of Israel. For every person that actually came back to Christ, what was he doing? He was saying, you're really part of the real kingdom. You're not on the outside anymore. You're on the inside. And when Peter, Peter denied Jesus three times at the cross, what did he do? He brought him back saying, I love you. I love you. Feed my sheep. I'm, I'm calling you to something different. So all of us are challenged in this moment to change this Christmas. Amen? Which means that we're going to respond differently to situations. So when, when opportunities arise that God is calling us to, we jump right in. Amen? Now, I want to, um, I want to, to take us in that direction. And I want to I I see the kingdom of God manifested in our midst. And the, the greatest way of manifestation is that Jesus Christ came here to forgive us. And he's called us to forgive. To much who has been given, much is required. The church is the place where we can find the people of God who forgive. 